Hello and welcome back to the Essential Training Podcast with me, your host, Brian Kingston and my dad, Ian Kingston. We'll have dad back on the podcast in the next episode, which is exciting. For today, I have a story to tell you. So sit back or take some time to get yourself comfortable or if you're out for a walk or doing some errands or maybe doing some work. Relax and have a listen to this story. So this is a story about a druid and a butterfly. I picked up this story when I was down in Wexford on a weekend trip with a couple of friends. And we were sitting down in a cafe after we had done a sprint triathlon the day before. And we were kind of wrecked and spent a few days together. So we were sitting down, ordering our food and just kind of relaxing weren't really chatting so I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna take out my phone and then I thought oh I'm always on my phone just maybe not put it out and I looked to my left and there was a little bookshelf so I picked out three books and I gave one to each of my friends one was a cooking book which was kind of interesting because one of my friends really into cooking so I gave to him one uh, a book about wine and then the book that I had in front of myself was a book about Irish myths and stories which felt a little bit synchronistic because since moving back home from Canada about seven or eight months ago, I've really been reconnecting with my sense of my Irishness. And that has kind of manifested itself in songs and stories, maybe pre-Christian Irish lore and fairy tales and I even bought a couple of hurlies, which I've no business doing really being from South Dublin, some would say, but um, just have really felt a connection with uh, Irishness and the land here and the beautiful country we have. It actually reminds me, I was down at a retreat in Wexford for Father's Day. We, Dad and I did a father and son retreat and it was run by Michael Ryan, who's a yoga teacher, who's actually Michael D. Higgins, yoga teacher, and Dermot Ling. Gizzy, who is a Wexford hero hurler and has really embraced another sense of Irishness in living very close to the land and connecting with his sport of hurling. And they host a lot of retreats. And Gizzy and I both trained together to be facilitators in the SOAR Foundation. And the SOAR Foundation, we used to do kind of emotional awareness or emotional development workshops in around schools all over Ireland and we trained for a year to learn how to facilitate and to hold a room and to kind of create a safe space where people could talk about things that was com- that were coming up for them and as teenagers you know it's just a massive melting pot of situations that people would come up against in life and it was really refreshing to be part of an organization that was creating this space in schools And a few of my friends who I did the training with went on and did that full time for a few years. And I can only imagine the kind of learnings and insights and incredibly powerful experiences they must have had over those years. And so when I saw that Gizzy and Michael were holding this retreat, I jumped up at the chance and dad and I went down for Father's Day down into this field in Wexford is the only way I can describe it. And I'd been following them on social media for quite a while. And we did a a sweat lodge, which I thought was 
a Native American tradition or a Latin American tradition. I'd done a couple of sweat lodges while I was in Mexico and Guatemala when I was doing some backpacking. And they're quite spiritual experiences uh, when facilitated by, well, at the time for me, it was like a Mexican shaman. And you kind of get, you kind of prepare, everyone kind of gets into their swimsuits uh, and you, it's like a hut, um, kind of like a, a stone hut usually with like some sort of thatch roof or like blankets on the on the roof. And so there's an opening and it's kind of, you have to crouch in and everyone sits in a circle on the outside of the circle. And then they bring in these large, what are usually volcanic rocks that have been heated up in the fire over a period of time. And those rocks then, the facilitator or the shaman will pour water on those rocks inside of the sweat lodge, which will then create a really hot steam so it's like a really hot sauna slash steam room but it's kind of pitch black and everyone's sitting around a circle and a, so a worker outside will shovel these large molten volcanic rocks from the fire and pass them into the doorway of the sweat lodge give them to the facilitator the facilitator will f- put them on the fire and then start pouring water on them And usually what happens is there might be some chanting, there might be some meditation, some breath work. That's what happens within the sauna. And I don't quite understand exactly what happens, but through the process of the intense heat, the steam, the darkness, and it's uncomfortable, you know, you're kind of in a crouched, almost fetal position, sitting on your bum with the back, your back leaning against the wall. And fit for me anyway, physical pain and uh, physical ailments tended to come up and I wanted to release them emotionally. So when I was doing the sweat lodge down in Wexford, after 10 or a couple, 10 or 12 minutes being in there and we were doing breath work and it was quite intense and it was really, really hot. Like, you know, you'd really want to leave. And one guy just got out straight away. I think he's claustrophobic and he was like, this isn't for me. And that's fair enough. I actually kind of respected him for saying be able to say no I just burst into tears I, I I felt this tension in my back and I was kind of moving and twisting trying to get comfortable and as it got hotter and hotter and more intense I just burst into this really intense deep cry and it was so cathartic and the fact that it was pitch black you know no one no one really knew who was that was in tears except the two people beside me because you kind of brush up against them so they can they can and one guy just put his hand on my shoulder and it was just this beautiful moment where, and this is, a, this is an all men situation, where it's kind of like this potent space of intensity and safety that happens. So afterwards, we kind of get out and there was a little a, a pond. We could all jump in and then they, 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 they cooked this amazing food. I think it was venison and some like curry and lentils. And it was just amazing and before that we had done kind of a circle where people shared what father and son means to them and and gizzy and michael held a beautifully safe conducive space to authentic communication and it was amazing to see men from all walks of life old young working class middle class tall small construction workers office workers just come together and kind of share openly about their lives. And 
why did I get onto that or how did I get onto that? Oh yeah, I suppose that was me helping to connect with my dad, I suppose, and also connect with Irishness. And Gizzy told a story about actually back in the day, maybe at the time that this story that I'm about to tell is set, Irish warriors, when they came back from battle, would do a sweat lodge and it would be a stone hut and they would do this sweat lodge in order to sweat off the trauma of battle so that they could go back into their normal lives, which I think is a beautiful story. So that just gives an insight into the type of stuff that I feel like exposing myself to. And, you know, in a way that's very similar with the work we do in corporate environments. Like we're sitting around in a circle, you know, people wearing their work clothes and by creating a circle, there's kind of nowhere to hide and it's very um, leveling. So there's no like, oh, that's the director's table and that's the C-suite table and they're the grads. You know, we kind of sit in a circle on, on our chairs and it kind of creates a space where people can communicate at the same level. And so it was relevant to our work to do that kind of stuff because you see this facilitation of this group happening in a different environment. And through those kind of experiences, we can kind of bring pieces of that into our work we do at groups. Anyway, I don't remember how I got onto that, but a druid and the story of the druid. The druid is a, was an Irish shaman, kind of like an Irish. I, I described it as priests one time. I was telling the story to my mother, actually. She was like, Brian, what are you doing? Uh, comparing. Uh, druids to priests they're far more than priests and uh well that's my attempt of my mother's uh cork <laughs> accent which she might not appreciate uh, she's right because druids were connected to nature and connected to the land and they could divinate and incantate and influence the people of the society at the time and chieftains used to keep druids at their right hand for guidance and connection and advice. Very similar to how they used to, how the poet in Irish society, the Phila, were regarded very highly, which I like to remind people as a poet myself. But anyway, I digress. So this is the story about the druid of all druids. Apparently this druid was so incredibly smart, so incredibly good at using their logical mind that he walked all the way to Egypt. And we're talking thousands of years ago. Walked all the way to Egypt and convinced Egypt's foremost philosopher at the time that black was white and white was black. And by the time he left Egypt, that philosopher didn't even know if colour existed at all. And you know what? Maybe it doesn't. Who knows? So the priest comes back to Ireland after going on this vision quest and says to the chieftain, who he's been mentoring since the chieftain was eight years of age, very much like me and my dad, uh, where I remember I was facilitating a workshop. Uh, no, my dad was facilitating a workshop and he some for some reason brought me along and I just kind of mucked in and dad sometimes teaches people how to juggle, you know, in his corporate workshops as a way to help people see 
the value in learning something new, no matter what age you are. A big thing dad talks about when teaching people how to juggle, usually senior executives, is what he says is dropping the third ball. Because what we do is we just get someone to throw the ball from one ball from one hand to another, usually their dominant hand to their non-dominant hand. Then you add in a second ball once we've done that a few times and just throw one ball from one hand to the other. And the next step is throw up one ball with, let's say, your left hand and the other ball with your right hand and then catch the two of them. The next step, and this is usually where people struggle with, which is natural, is you hold two balls, let's say, in your left hand and one ball in your right hand. Throw the first ball, throw the second ball. Now, the tough thing to do when you throw the third ball is now the three balls in the air at the same time. How we teach juggling is to be okay with dropping the third ball. So throw the first, throw the second, throw the third. The person will have learned to catch the first two balls. And what we encourage them to do is allow the third ball to just fall on the floor. Because what it does is it teaches the mechanics of juggling while still catching two of the balls. And then the person will just get used to that flow of throwing the third ball because that's when the kind of cycle, the flow of juggling happens. What tends to happen in these workshops with corporate groups or with anybody that I've taught juggling to is it's really hard to watch the ball fall on the ground. It's really difficult to witness failure, to see success crumble in front of our very eyes. And it's an amazing learning tool for groups on the importance of experiencing failure on the road to success. And I can guarantee anybody listening to this podcast, when you've learned something new, part of that learning process was learning to be okay with looking like an Egypt. It's happened to me as I have learned and I'm learning Spanish. I have to be okay with looking like a fool and making mistakes in order to be understood. Because if I waited until I had the sentence or the words perfectly formed in my mind before communicating, uh, it would take a long time. So I often find myself just being knowing I'm going to make a mistake grammatically or with the gender of a word, which is a mad concept that words have genders. Anyway, um, I'll have to just go with the wrong one. And usually the person can understand what I'm trying to say. And often they will either correct me or they'll just continue with the conversation as if, like I do with a, we all do with a person speaking a second language, you kind of give them a bit more leeway. And teaching someone how to juggle is a great metaphor for learning something new. And, you know, the most successful people I found and, you know, the amount of podcasts or TV shows or movies that I've seen of, you know, every day is a school day and, you know, the best golfers, the best artists and musicians are always learning or always picking stuff up. So it's just really interesting to see the effect teaching juggling has on people. Again, I digress. But very like this eight-year-old king and the druid, you know, I was this eight-year-old kid teaching the CEO how to juggle as my dad was facilitating this workshop. And at this part of the story, I always kind of connect that, those two for myself. And the druid, getting back to the story, the druid goes to the chieftain. I figured it out. He's come back from Egypt. He's come back from telling 
from convincing this Egyptian philosopher that color doesn't even mightn't even exist. And he says to the king, I figured out, I want you to just only believe in what you can see. Only believe in what you can see. So the king, as he's done most of his life, takes the Druid's word for it because he's never led him astray in the past. Only believe what you can see. So the king does this and starts to see some of the benefits in his life. So he gathers all the subjects of the kingdom and he says to them, okay, everyone, just only believe in what you can see. That's what I want you to do. Only believe in what you can see. I don't want to hear or experience anybody else, you know, messing with anything different. So the Druid's delighted with himself. And after a period of time, the Druid one day is going down to a body of water. It's like a lake or the sea, maybe going down for a wash, maybe going down for his morning dip, as a lot of people in Ireland seem to be uh, doing these days, which I enjoy as well. And it's one of those days, kind of like today, where there's a mist and a fog. And you kind of don't really know the difference between the sky and where the water begins and the sky ends it's kind of this misty fog that's rolling in and as the druid's down there kind of you know maybe washing his face or doing something like that out of this mist and fog comes this female water spirit she kind of wistfully wisps in towards the druid and says druid and he's like what Druid, and he's kind of going, what's this? And he's seen a lot of mad stuff in his time, you know, with all of the spiritual journeys he's been on and and all of the connection he has with nature. But even for him, this is kind of next level. And the water spirit goes to him, Druid, what have you done? What have you done? Druid's like, what are you on about? What are you on about? You've convinced people to only live from their minds. You've convinced people to only believe what they can see. He's like, yeah. She, and the water spirit says, what about their hearts? And the druid, after an initial period of confusion, realizes the gravity of what the water spirit has just said. And he's devastated. He realizes what he's done and he goes to run back to convince the king and to show the king that... I've made a big mistake here. And the water spirit says, no, I'm sorry, Druid. Like you have to die now. That's just your punishment for what you've done. And the Druid in some way that I still don't understand after telling this story a few times, he convinced the water spirit to go back to the king and to have more time. So she somehow agrees. So he's back with the king and he says, I've made a mistake. I've led you astray. You need to believe in more than you can see. I don't understand at all, you know? And he, the king can't. He's like, what are you talking about? Like, you've been training me on this stuff my whole life. Just because you're having some sort of episode, you want me to change my opinion on things? Like, no, that's not that's not happening. And also, even if I did believe what you were saying, I'm not going to now go back to the kingdom and say, don't believe what I can see, because I'll just look ridiculous. And I need to command respect and fear amongst my subjects. So not a chance. The Druid is devastated. The Druid gathers all the people of the kingdom and the king into the courtyard of the castle up on a stage and says to the king, I'm going to convince you. I'm going to show you that there's more than the eye can see. And 
the people of the kingdom are don't know what's happening i mean this is a bit of a regular occurrence you know to get a talk but it's just as a weird vibe the druid gives the king a dagger and says king chieftain run this dagger dagger across my throat and you'll see that there's more than the eye can see the chieftain is in shock you've been my basic like my uncle mentor father figure my whole life how am i supposed to do this but he sees something in the druid's eyes that just kind of convinces him to do it so he grabs a dagger runs it across across the druid's throat the druid falls to the ground everybody's shocked their mouths are open as maybe your mouth might be open now wondering what is going on in this story the druid starts to pass away and lose a lot of blood and as the druid takes his last breath lying on this platform and in front of the whole kingdom and in front of this king who is just shocked a small white butterfly emerges from the throat of the druid and flies all around the courtyard people are in shock screams awes silence and the king and the people that day and since that day it's said that in ireland it showed people that there's more than the eye can see now i'm not sure if everybody in ireland believes that there's more than the eye can see and maybe that's why stories like this are important i'm not sure but i know that when i told that story to my two friends with who i was down in wexford we were getting changed ready to leave and we were kind of packing up our stuff outside the front of my friend's house and a small little butterfly lands in front of my buddy and i was like lads i've just read the story i'm gonna have to share it with you so i shared with them the story one friend was like i'm getting chills this is mad like the butterfly just landed there you just read the story about the butterfly the other friend goes i don't get i was like what do you mean the druid asked for more time from the water spirit and then sacrificed himself like the story doesn't make any sense like i I, I don't understand it and i said look fair question i I don't i'm just sharing the story that that i read he was like yeah geez well yeah maybe i need to live less from my logical mind and live more from my heart and i was like whoa you know i don't know if that's true or not but that's a serious insight to have and you know i was just sharing the story that i read so the power of that moment has kind of stood with me for a while since sharing that story and i i shared the story with a friend who was visiting from canada and her partner we were hiking in glen around the spink and we were having a great conversation and between the jigs and the reels we kind of came to something that i thought would be relevant so i shared the story and as we were walking the guy i was with kind of was like geez that's mad and he kind of looked behind his shoulder as he was walking in front of me he says it was illegal to kill white butterflies in ireland up until like the 1980s I was like, geez, that's mad. It's funny. I told this story to my little 11-year-old cousin, who's really smart, way smarter than I am. 
And his question was, when I told him that part of the story, why is it now legal to kill white butterflies? All great questions. <laughs> and so recently I spoke at a Shanaha night. Shanaki is the word for like, well, I actually don't know the direct translation, but storyteller or old storyteller. And Kieran Gaffney has created this night in Ireland that has kind of spread to the UK and Europe and Australia where they hold a storytelling night. And he's called a Shaniha, and I've gotten the privilege to perform there twice. One time I did a spoken word poem, and I was about to do a second spoken word poem at the Westport event. But I was so inspired by the people that had spoken before me and by this story that I was, I think, the seventh or eighth speaker out of 13 or 14. And I was so nervous. And I was I was kind of toying between I, I wanted to read this poem that I had prepared but I kind of hadn't memorized it so I knew I had to read it off my phone and I knew that would kind of take away from the connection with the audience and a few of the speakers before me had said that they had planned and done something but then felt the safety of the room and how beautifully encouraging the you know 150 200 people at the back of this pub in Westport were that they were inspired to kind of speak more from off the cuff, more from their hearts, maybe. And so when I heard that, and then the girl before me shared an old, uh, a Welsh myth that had helped her connect to, to Irish myths, I thought, I've got to tell this story. I've got to tell this story. And the theme of the night was home. So I kind of interwove it with my story of coming home and the crowd was really receptive. and It was cool, got some laughs. And afterwards, one girl tapped me on the shoulder. She's like, thanks for telling that story. It was gas and it was, you know, I enjoyed it. And it had the perfect amount of chaos in it. And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, well, I just didn't know what you're going to say next. And I said, well, I didn't know what I was going to say next because that was my first time performing it to a large group. And I kind of felt such buzz telling the story just on stage, kind of got shivers a few times, just kind of in those moments of uncertainty where I didn't really know where I was going next. But I could tell that, the crowd were captivated by the story. So it was really special moments. And so after that, you know, had a few pints of Guinness, stayed, we were singing some songs. And as the bar was closing down, I think it was like one or half one. And a few of the performers kind of hang, hung around. And one guy was singing Shandos and he was singing off his phone. It was so beautiful. A few of the storytellers were listening. And there's actually one storyteller there, a lad from Kerry who I thought was so brilliant. Actually, everybody was brilliant. But um, he told this amazing story about two, was it leprechaun, hunchback leprechauns or something? And the story was about the invention of the plough in Ireland and it was gas. And he, he was a real West, West Kerry storyteller. Like, and he'd be telling the story like this. like. And before him, there was two storytellers who were black, Irish with African... I think Nigerian and I can't remember the other country heritage and they had told the story about their sense of home and their sense of being black in Ireland and one girl told the story of her parents and when they say home sometimes they mean Nigeria sometimes or not they mean Nigeria but they also feel a sense of home in Ireland and Fionn I think had told a story about he was going to some he told an amazing story but a part of the story was he was going into this old Irish pub and kind of an old man pub as people call it 
and there was an old man sitting in the corner and kind of beckoned him over and your mom was like and Fiona was like oh god I'm going to get it again you know where are you really from you know being an Irish person with black skin and your man goes so where are you from and Fiona goes Wexford and your man goes well you're as welcome as anyone and it was a beautiful story and so when the Kerry man got up the Kerry storyteller got up to tell his story he was like I you know I'm it's just fantastic to hear all the stories today and you know, Fionn and Sikemi, your stories were fantastic. And, you know, I'm not going to tell a personal story. I have a story prepared, but I just want to say, you know, I'm from Kerry. I'm from the kingdom. And we welcome everybody of shape, size, colour, creed to Kerry. And we're, I was very happy to hear your stories. And, you know, I welcome, we in Kerry, we welcome all people except Cork people. <laughs> and I just thought brilliant absolutely brilliant and i was standing beside two cork fellas and i was actually born in cork i'll have you know and just was brilliant and he was listening to this shano singer at half one in the morning after the event and it was just a special moment and as i was going to leave i was like right calling it a night one of the poets who was from dublin and he was a brilliant poet he he kind of puts his arm around his shoulder and he goes here man that fucking story you told like jesus like that was fucking mad like and i was like really yeah he's like do you know what i was having a smoke outside of my hotel there today before the event and i was with a couple of lads and i was kind of looking over crow patrick and the beautiful views here and you know in dublin we can be a bit solipsistic sometimes you know what i mean think that dublin's the center of the world like and it's just beautiful to come here and be accepted and tell a story and, and say my poems and, and i'm paraphrasing but this is the this is the sentiment that i got and he goes but you know what i was having a smoke and this little white butterfly kind of lands flutters around and lands in front of my feet and i just and my dad passed away in march and that moment felt really, really special. And now I kind of see why that that meant so much to me. And I was like, man, thank you so much for sharing that with me. Because the last part of the story is in old Ireland. And, you know, apparently since that day and throughout Ireland, people believe that white butterflies are maybe spirits connecting with us from another realm or maybe someone sending us a message or maybe it's someone trapped between two realms. It's just this ethereal, special, unexplainable nearly situation that the gravity of it is still landing inside of me as I tell this story to different people. So I just felt so privileged that he shared that with me. And so, you know, that's a story of the druid and the butterfly. And I told that story to my mom and she said, you know, that's mad because her grandmother had been told because she had lost some children in childbirth and, and, and caught deaths that those children would not go to heaven because they were not baptized. She was told that by the priests at the time, the Catholic church. 
which is why it's understandable my mum did not want me to equate druids with priests because I can't understand how someone could say that to someone else. And my mum said that her grandmother lived in fear for her whole life because the priest had told her, if you pray enough, your children might get into heaven. And I just think that's tragic that this institution put that on that poor woman, that mother. And, you know, stories like this druid and the butterfly, I've started to see butterflies kind of everywhere. And do you know when, you know, you want to buy a car and then you see that car everywhere or you're talking about a holiday and then you kind of get to see a leaflet or an ad for that, that location. I'm kind of experiencing that with butterflies at the moment. And as I told that story to my auntie, she said, you know, I'm getting a real image of this like purple butterfly at the moment. Um, because we were talking about something else. And I was like, that's mad because I just heard the story about druids and butterflies. And Auntie Michelle, I said that I would tell the story on the podcast. So here you are. And I hope you enjoyed it. And to everyone listening, I hope that you've enjoyed the story of the druid and the butterfly. And it's been such a pleasure and a privilege to tell that story. And I'm excited to tell it more in different scenarios and I'm excited to learn other stories. So thank you very much for listening. Part of me wants to explain or describe how that might be relevant to the world of work. And in the first attempt of recording this podcast, I went into that. And I'm hesitant to do that now. Because as one of our the sales trainers that I worked with when I was in Thinkific, my last company, said, don't be didactic when you're telling a story. You can tell the story and then you don't have to tell the listener what the meaning of the story is. They can pick up whatever meaning that they need to hear from the story. So take from whatever that story, from whatever you will from that story. I think more on the concepts of storytelling in general because I know that Shani had do storytelling workshops in companies and a lot of the work that we do with individuals and executives and sales and marketing teams and any, anybody really is around storytelling, not quite maybe explicitly, but I'll give you an example. We're working a lot with uh, companies at the moment that are where the TikTok generation are entering the workforce and they're bringing a lot of new perspectives into the workforce. Some of the positives might be, you know, work-life balance. Um, they they know their worth. Um, they are very, how do I put this? Kind of, they understand their value and are maybe more intentional about where they put themselves and where they spend their time. And, and also they're bringing more of them, their full selves into work and speaking about, uh, you know, uh, diversity and inclusion and LGBTQ issues are far more accepted in the workplace now. And I think that's going to keep growing. Some of the drawbacks or some of the criticisms of this generation and maybe millennials too, I'm a millennial, is, you know, maybe feel entitled, maybe want progression before they maybe deserve it uh, from the view of their superiors. 
and maybe take more sick days, take more holidays, kind of don't maybe value their position or their work as much as the previous generation. And uh, I think storytelling can be relevant for both sides here. Now, how is storytelling relevant to both parties? Well, as I was telling that story to my friend up in the spinking down the lock, and he said, you know, oh, the thing about the butterflies have been, it's been illegal to kill butterflies in Ireland since the 1980s. He is in, his role as a strategic financial, he's in strategic finance for a large multinational company. And he's looking at the long term of their financial plan and where they're going not just profit and loss, but, you know, the markets and the maybe the, the industry that they're in, maybe at the global economic climate or the geopolitics. Anyway, he has been promoted through the ranks after many years of being with his company. But early on in his career in Canada, he got feedback from a boss, a Canadian boss that said, Jesus, the Irish are amazing workers. You know, they get their head down. They work really hard. They have good quality work, which is a testament to the education system in Ireland, I think. And But the problem is, is there's kind of, they're not great at advocating for themselves or promoting themselves. And this guy said, you know, he kind of found that feedback difficult to hear. But what he realized was he was doing all this work, but kind of was silent about it. And no one knew the impact that he was having or very few people knew how hard he was working or or all the great work that he was doing and it was holding him back from getting promotions or being seen within the organization or getting raises or even getting recognition so over a period of time he learned to track his work and to bring it up explicitly in one-on-ones with his leader or with his uh, team, or maybe in all company meetings. And I remember when I was working at Thinkific, and I was in sales every week on a Wednesday, there'd be an all company meeting, and we would share customer stories. And I noticed how when I or other people shared customer stories, it kind of did a lot of things. It helped the people who maybe are not customer facing to connect with the mission and the vision of the organization and see the impact of their work and how it benefited our customers and our customers' customers. But it also kind of raised the profile of the storyteller within the organization. And that often had a multitude of benefits. So especially in a remote working environment, what that did was it allowed that person to be known within the organization for what they do allow their work to be recognized, but also it allowed them to be seen and, you know, potentially be called up for other tasks or to be rewarded in other ways because people saw the fruits of their labor. And what I'm he- what I heard this week from a director of sales in a tech company, a head of HR, a large multinational finance co- company, and from chatting with dad over lunch today as well is what we as people we as workers can do to help ourselves is to more compellingly and regularly communicate the work that we're doing internally within the organization 
and especially for the younger generation. Because as I was talking to a friend of mine who's a director of sales for a large multinational tech company, is what he's seen is the TikTok generation, which is kind of a disparaging term, but that age group of people that are entering the workforce now, in general, don't really like doing that because they feel maybe it's too corporate or it's playing the game or it's, you know, manipulating. Whereas really, it's, it's just them advocating for themselves and promoting themselves internally and elevating their personal brand. And it can be done in a very authentic way. Um, it doesn't have, you know, everything they say can be truthful. But, you know, often we assume that people know the work that we're doing. And that's not the case because people are focused on what they have to achieve in their progression and their teams and their managers. So that's something that I'm reflecting on as well. I mean, I was speaking with dad and this is four or five months after coming full time into a central training. I was like, yeah, geez, when I was in Canada, I, I had a friend of mine who's the CEO of a marketing business and they were looking for a sales trainer and it was too expensive. And I was having lunch with them. I said, I'll do it. And I did up a quote and I trained a couple of their staff at this stage, their co-founders were selling still. They hadn't built out a sales team. And I really enjoyed coaching with a doing sales coaching with founders because they're very passionate generally about what they're doing. They're very connected with their customers and their goal. And they're, the people that I worked with anyway were very willing to learn because they wanted to see the results and the fruits of their labor. And they were realizing that they weren't maximizing the potential and they were missing out on opportunities. And that went really well. And there was results from that, positive results, like an uptick in conversion rates of sales for these this co-founder. So he recommended me to someone else. And I ended up having two or three clients. who I was, I was training CEOs in sales. And then I brought on a new customer to Essential Training. And I was coaching him in sales. They do about $1 million a year. They're based in North America, but they kind of sell all over. And I've been working with him now for a while. And I said that to that, this is perfect. Like I've done this loads before. And he's like, you never told me that. I didn't know that you did that. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, like this is so relevant to the work that we do with C-suite and senior management and, you know, internal and external selling. And it was a bit of a light bulb moment for me. And, oh, Jesus, yeah, like I can't just assume that even my dad knows all the work that I've done because, you know, life's busy and complex. So I wonder where you in your life or your career can embrace the power of story to improve your position and to get the recognition or the raise or the promotion or the satisfaction that you deserve for doing all the hard work that you're doing um, or the smart work that you're doing. Um, Because one thing that's really come up for me in the last couple of years is working smarter, not harder. I've always considered myself and being a hard worker, maybe that's from being raised in black or going to Blackrock College, which is a very competitive kind of all male environment, both academically and in sport. Um, and what I'm learning, especially through doing some more endurance races, like long distance swimming, uh, like I swam six kilometers from two towns in Ireland, from Bray to Greystones, or recently did a 3.9 K swim in, in uh, in the west coast of Ireland and have been doing some longer distance running, like just half marathons. Well, not just half marathons, but half marathons. But I've been a lot more comfortable because I've been running sl- more slowly. And why I'm saying that is because 
it was a bit of a light bulb moment for me that if I ran slower, I could go farther, which sounds actually obvious now that I describe it. But I always thought when I was working out, I had to be pushing myself to the limit and being huffing and puffing. Whereas in long distance work, going slower is actually easier on the body. So I was recovering faster, getting less, no injuries. And I was enjoying it more because I was able to chat with my friends when I was doing long distance running or biking or if I was doing swimming, you know, I'd stop and float on my little flotation boy and chat with the person I swim with and then go back down again for another kilometer or something. So that's my little digression about working smarter, not necessarily harder. And, uh, you know, that's relevant, I think, to the world of work because something I've seen recently um, is a lot of talk about burnout. And I have a friend who's a heart and thoracic surgeon in Ireland. My sister's in Google. And she sent me recently a um, something that they have on the back of their toilets, which is all around burnout, which is fascinating. It was like, you know, don't be a hero. Don't do the work in the middle of the night because the system's broken. That's not allowing that work to be done in normal hours. We want to see the system break so that we can fix the system so that our people can work reasonable hours and time. And there's a few different lessons like that that to me seemed relevant to what I'm learning about long distance exercise. In if you want to go long, you go slow. And similarly with work, taking breaks, having family time, integrating work and life is going to allow you to do it for longer, which will increase your likelihood of success, which will decrease your likelihood of burnout and increase the likelihood of work satisfaction. Now, for some people, Jesus, I don't want to have to do my work longer. And maybe that's a different question. So look, that's feels like a natural conclusion to this week's episode of the Essential Training Podcast. We spoke about druids and butterflies. We spoke about work and burnout and storytelling and work. And yeah, I really enjoyed the, doing these podcasts. So thanks people, everyone for listening and for the positive feedback. Um, I haven't gotten any negative feedback yet, but maybe that is, those people are silent. I'm not sure. Or maybe just, you know, uh, who knows. But as I said, we're open to suggestions, to people that we can have on the podcast, to things to talk about. Um, so yeah, on our website, you can find our contact details on our LinkedIn or Instagram, usually where I share the link to these episodes. So please reach out. If you'd like to be on the podcast, reach out to us. We've had that happen a few times and had really fruitful and fruitful and enjoyable conversations. Next episode, we'll have dad back, which I'm excited to, uh, just to hear more from him. He's got so much to share and 30 years of, of a lot of amazing work with clients to share. So that's it. Thank you for listening to the Essential Training Podcast. You can find us on essentialtraining.ie, Essential Training on Instagram, Essential Training on LinkedIn. And yeah, reach out, feel free. We'd love to connect. And in the spirit of storytelling, as you can probably tell from listening to this podcast, and thank you for listening to the whole thing, is the beauty for me is actually in the connection through the story because I either learn something or I get an insight or I learn more about the person, which gives me an insight. And so that's why I really like being up on stage and chatting to people afterwards, because looking at people's eyes and seeing the laughter or the joy or the sadness or the shock 
and feeling that connection is amazing. And then getting to chat to people afterwards is also amazing because I get to hear the reactions. And what's beautiful that I'm learning about storytelling is, you know, that's not my story. So I just get to pass it on. So now you have that story and you can pass that story on to anybody you like. Uh, Like my 11 year old cousin did in front of his whole class, which just was beautiful to hear that he did that. And to hear his question, his insightful question of why is it now legal to kill white butterflies? So, yeah, if there's anything, if you've heard the story before and I've missed out anything or if anything's incorrect, yeah, please get on to me as well. And I'd love to learn more. So thanks for listening and we will see you next time. Well, there you have it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Essential Training Podcast with me, Brian Kingston and my dad, Ian Kingston. As dad says, hope it brought something up for you and gave you a chance to reflect on your own work and your own life. We'll see you again next Thursday. And as always, we're open to any feedback or suggestions you might have, what you liked about it, what you think could be better, maybe some suggestions for guests, suggestions for topics as well. So thanks a million for listening and we will see you or you'll hear us next week.